Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Michael Krasny. As the University of California Berkeley begins a new academic year today, Chancellor Carol Crist is dealing with multiple crises at once. And the pandemic is extraordinarily challenging. For me, it's the most difficult um, challenge I've ever faced. We'll talk with Chancellor Christ about that, a looming budget deficit, remote learning, the housing crisis, student diversity, and more. And we want to hear from you. What questions do you have for UC Berkeley's chancellor? You can email us now at forum at kqed.org. That's forum at kqed.org. And that's all next after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. Today marks the start of classes at the University of California, Berkeley, and like other colleges and universities across the country, the school is trying to adapt to the coronavirus pandemic while also facing a $340 million budget deficit. At the same time, the nation is grappling with demands for social justice and racial equity, struggles Berkeley has long wrestled with, and in this hour, We'll talk with UC Berkeley Chancellor Carol Christ about how the university is responding to the pandemic, student needs, and financial challenges. And welcome, Chancellor Christ. Good to have you with us. Thank you very much for inviting me. Glad to have you. I think the place I'd like to begin with you is just to hear what you have to say about how prepared and how confident you are about remote instruction. Uh, we've spent the summer uh, developing um, our, our uh, remote instruction um, in the spring. We went remote on two days notice, really on the fly. Uh, but we've done many things over the summer. Uh, we um, had uh, awarded 30, um, 300 uh, graduate student uh, instructor pairs, fellowships to develop the, um, their courses remotely using best practices in remote instruction. We've created a set of 30 courses we're calling Semester in the Cloud, very frequently taken courses that we've invested a lot in to make as good as they possibly can be. A thousand of our faculty took a, um, a, a workshop in remote instruction this summer. So we're really um, trying to use the uh, best, um, best practices, best wisdom to make remote instruction as good as it possibly can be. And what about students with special needs or for that matter, uh, faculty who really aren't up to snuff with uh, remote learning and really need more technological background? 
we are uh, providing lots of resources for the faculty. Lots of my, our faculty are saying, I discovered a muscle I didn't know I had. Uh, and so uh, I, I myself, for example, am teaching remotely this, uh, this fall as a course, a seminar in Frankenstein. And um, we have people in our Center for Teaching and Learning that are helping instructors like me uh, make the adaptation to uh, the remote modality. Uh, and um, we have a very um, uh, uh, active disability services office that is helping students who need accommodations um, uh, receive the accommodations that they need. And what about preparation with respect to COVID-19? All incoming students are going in the residence halls. Those who are going to be in the residence halls, I know, are going to be required to take tests. Uh, and there will be free tests for students and faculty. And there's also a a healthy pledge, but do you feel, again, confident that uh, you really are going to be able to deal with this, particularly in terms of students congregating, which has been a problem on so many campuses? I, I feel confident that we have put in place the the uh, the right protocols that we tested all of our students who live in the dorms before they moved into the dorms. Uh, and um, of the 1,400 tests that were complete on uh, Sunday, uh, there were only three positives, which is uh, really good news for us. And we will, the students are now um, uh, supposed to seclude themselves for a week and then uh, they will take another test. We've just decided to extend the, um, we're going to test our students in congregate living twice a week uh, during the semester. And we've just decided to extend that testing protocol to a congregate living that like fraternities, sororities, co-ops that the university doesn't own or control uh, to make sure what we need to do, what we think the best practice and best wisdom is, is to identify cases very early and then uh, isolate um, uh, those um, people, uh, students who test positively, uh, quarantine the um, any uh, contacts, close contacts that they have so we can can prevent outbreaks from developing. Our greatest concern, of course, is the concern I'm sure many college um, uh, presidents, university chancellors have, is uh, what happens with socializing off campus. And we're trying to use all of the persuasion that we have um, to uh, encourage students to observe um, uh, the public health measures that both the city and the campus have mandated. What does that mean in terms of consequences for those who violate the health orders? I, uh, they can, they, they, they're progressive and they can range all the way up to suspension for students who violate them. That doesn't mean if you're walking on campus one time without a mask, we're going to suspend you. But if you um, are repeatedly violating or seriously violating public health guidelines, there will be disciplinary consequences. Well, I know there's a mask on the bear statue outside of Zellerbach Hall. There's also a pledge. Uh, tell us about the pledge and what really consequences or likelihood that's going to be followed. I uh, just in my walking around Berkeley, my driving around Berkeley, uh, students seem to be observing certainly the direction to wear masks. Um, uh, the the campaign that we have our bears protect other bears. And we're trying to appeal to students' sense of community responsibility, that this is something that you owe not just to yourself, but to your community.
And I, I just was talking to someone yesterday who was walking across the Clark Kirk campus. That's one of our residential um, complexes and said the students were all social distancing. They were wearing masks. Um, so I, I have confidence that our students will, um, will, will act appropriately. And if they don't, we'll, we'll, they, there will be consequences. We're discussing the present and future challenges facing UC Berkeley with Chancellor Carol Christ. And uh, if you have questions for the chancellor about how UC Berkeley is handling the pandemic and the budget crisis, and we'll talk about the budget crisis in just a moment, you can give us a call at our toll-free number. The number to call is 866-733-6786. That number again, toll-free, 866-733-6786. Or get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email any questions you may have to forum at kqed.org. And uh, Chancellor Chris, uh, before we get into budget matters, UC Berkeley recently admitted its most ethnically diverse freshman class in more than 30 years. And how is this done? Uh, there are, I know, challenges that are ongoing. And I know that those numbers have always been ones that you want to uh, advance farther. But what's being done to address concerns about racial inequity? Uh, well, we uh, I appointed, this was more than a year ago, three working groups to address uh, um, issues related to undergraduate diversity, one on outreach and yield, one on our admissions process itself, and the third on the campus experience. Uh, we got those reports um, uh, more about a year ago, and we've um, uh, pr uh, proceeded to implement the recommendations, uh, the uh, recommendations on outreach and yield and also on uh, changes in the admissions process obviously have had results. We also have an outstanding new leader as our director of admissions, Femi Ogundele, and I think it's both his leadership and the changes that we made that enabled us to admit a very much more diverse class. More, much more meaning what? Can you give us some numbers, please? Uh, yes, we admitted over 700 uh, more um, uh, African-American students, and um, I think it's about 3,000 more Hispanic students, Chicanx, Latinx students. I know diversity has been a top priority for you since you began back in 2017. It's been helped to some extent, I imagine, by these Fiat Lux scholarship endowments uh, for high-achieving, low-income, first-generation students. It's, courtesy of uh, generosity, really, of Bob and Colleen Haas, Bob Haas, former CEO of Levi Strauss. Uh, we're talking, that's a historic gift of $24 million to support undergraduates at Berkeley. On the other hand, and I don't want to get too in the weeds here, but I know you're consumed by the budget because we're talking about, about $340 million short of what the budget projection was to be by the end of 2021. Talk about how you're dealing with that. Well, first, let me make clear that the financial aid budget is not in any way compromised by our budget deficit, that there is a set aside of a third of the, um, the uh, tuition and the fees that students pay, that's a return to aid. And, uh, and we financial aid is a very high priority for us. And we've been also energetically raising money for financial aid. Uh, the historic gift that you just referenced that Bob Haas and his family gave is just 
just extraordinary. We also had a million dollar gift from uh, Kathy Kwan for immediate um, grants and aid for students um, uh, suffering um, uh, emergency economic hardship as a result of the pandemic. That was a matching um, grant and we've been raising the match. So uh, our, our alumni, our supporters, our donors have really been stepping forward with, with um, uh, making gifts to the university to help our students. But let me talk about the larger question of the, um, of the uh, budget shortfall that we have. And it's important that the amount of it is 340 million. That's from March of uh, 2020, when we went remote through the end of um, uh, June of 2021. So in other words, 16 months. Um, and uh, the of the 340 million, 200 of it are in what we call the auxiliaries. Those are uh, uh, areas of the campus like housing and dining. We have a lot of um, uh, we refunding of uh, housing and dining contracts, room and board contracts in the spring when we went remote. And we are have a dramatically less, uh, uh, dramatically smaller population in our dormitories. We have about 9,600 beds usually. We probably will have about 1,700 students in our dorms, currently all of them in single rooms. We made the decision to do single rooms. So big losses in housing and dining, big losses in athletics, um, significant losses in Cal performances. Um, so all of these are units that um, take in revenues for the services or programs they offer, and that composes much of their budget. And I believe you're on record as saying publicly you are committed to not allowing the auxiliary debt to bleed over into the core campus uh, expenses and needs. Revenue. That's exactly that's exactly right. So that's about 200 million of the 340 million, and then um, there's 140 million that's in the core campus. 65 million of that are um, uh, additional expenses because of COVID-19, expenses of testing, contact tracing, um, uh, the um, uh, investment in uh, remote instruction, and Chancellor uh, Chris, excuse me, hold that thought. We're coming up on break and I want to give the number again. If you want to join us, you can do that toll free. 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. I'm Michael Krasny. This is Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. We're discussing the present and future challenges facing University of California, Berkeley with Chancellor Carol Christ. If you have questions for the Chancellor, and I know there were uh, in the in the virtual convocation, many who had questions who didn't have the opportunity to because of time uh, limitations, but you can ask the question of the chancellor right now, whatever's on your mind, and you can do that by giving us a call at our toll-free number at 866-733-6786. Again, that's 866-733-6786, and get in touch with us also on Twitter or Facebook. We're at KQED Forum, or email any questions you may have to forum at kqed.org. And before we had to go to the break, Chancellor Chris, we were talking again about finances, and you were again, sort of getting into the nuances a bit about how you avoid getting into the auxiliary finances. I wanted to follow up on you something with that, but please complete your thought. 
Okay, I just wanted to uh, say that our, our the anticipated loss in our core budget, that's the budget that funds the schools, the colleges, our academic and research programs is um, $140 million. $65 million of that are um, uh, new expenses because of COVID-19. Um, the rest is a combination of revenue losses from, from programs like University Extension and Summer Session, as well as an anticipated cut of 50 million in our state support. Could you answer, though, um, for me, uh, an editorial that was brought up in the Daily Californian about prioritization of athletic programs? Uh, whoever wrote the editorial, I think it was the staff there, said uh, it's a, they acknowledge it's an important revenue source and certainly important for school spirit and all that. But they pointed out that the highest compensated uh, well, people at the University of California, Berkeley, are essentially identified with athletics, football or basketball. The head football coach, for example, Justin Wilcox, 2019 was uh, paid a salary of two and a half million dollars. That's four and a half times your salary that year. And you took a 10 percent cut. Um, could you address this? Seems to be certainly of concern of the students. Uh, the highest salaried um, uh, uh, leaders in the athletic department have also taken a um, voluntary 10% cut in their salaries. Understood. But there's still the sense that graduate student instructors, for example, who are protesting for cost of living increases, COVID-19 has made it hard to find the kind of funds that they need. And funds in general are at a premium here. So uh, football and basketball are, despite the pandemic, not at a premium? Well, we, um, the uh, director of athletics, Jim Knowlton, has been extraordinarily responsible in developing a budget plan for athletics that eliminates what is a very sizable deficit, $25 million, um, uh, over a period of years. Uh, he's done it through 10% cuts to all sports, as well as voluntary salary reductions of, of highly compensated employees, plus other very other measures that he's taken. So I, I think he's been re responding very responsibly and indeed in a, in a really disciplined way. Let me bring a caller on with us. Mary Page from Hillsborough joins us. Mary Page, welcome. You're on the air. Good morning. Hello, Chancellor Christie. It's Mary Page Platter, Inc. I have um, two daughters at Cal, uh, Go Bears. And I was interested to hear about you, but they're both in off-campus housing. Um, I have a, a junior who's in a private apartment and a, a freshman who's at the Metropolitan, which is a, essentially a, a private dorm, I guess, is what it looks like to me. And I'm just wondering if there's an opportunity for them to participate in the testing protocols as they're trying to be very safe and socially distanced. But, of course, you know, they're college kids, and so they're looking to build their own little private bubble um, and but stay safe in the same way. Mary Page, Absolutely. thank you for that call. Um, Carol Chris, excuse me, go ahead, please. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, anybody can get a free test who wants to. You um, do it through the Innovative Genomics Institute or the IGI, which is doing saliva tests. And uh, so um, uh, your um, your daughters can, can get tests there. And we can't uh, uh, compel um, uh, students in congregate living off campus to get tests, but we are really encouraging it. Could I get a response from you, Chancellor Chris, to a listener named Carol, Crystal, who writes, there are more than 1,000 non-tenure track faculty at UC Berkeley who have been working without a contract since February. Our contract negotiations have stalled with the university 
rejecting our call for more job stability? Does the Chancellor value our contribution to the university's teaching mission, and will she support our call for more job stability? Uh, that I, of course, I, I very much support the uh, contributions of lecturers to our teaching mission. Uh, they're really important parts of our, our whole instructional program. All contract negotiations uh, for uh, represented employees are conducted at the office of the president level so that we're fairly independent of the campus. Here's a nice note I wanted to read. It's always nice to hear things of this sort. Dana writes, our son is starting his sophomore year at Cal. I just want to take a moment to compliment Chancellor Christ on her steady, innovative leadership during this pandemic. And you've said, I think, that this has been perhaps the greatest challenge of your uh, academic life. Um, I'm wondering if you still find some solace or comfort in reading uh, Rossetti, Browning, Hopkins, uh, all the poets who have uh, been so important to your life as a scholar. Well, I certainly am taking a lot of solace in reading, um, but the book I read most uh, most recently is the last volume of uh, Hilary Mantel's um, uh, trilogy, The Mirror and the Light, which seems a little bit more suitable to these times than uh, Victorian poetry. And let me bring another caller aboard with us. Nusheen in San Francisco joins us as the next caller. Good morning, Nusheen. Good, good morning. Hi. Uh, uh, I'm calling from San Francisco. Uh, I'm sorry, Nusheen, we, we've got a bad connection here. Uh, I hope you can maybe uh, uh, try to get you on to a better connection. In the meantime, I'm going to read a tweet for Chancellor Christ uh, from a listener who says, how does the Chancellor plan on dealing with reports of parties? There are reports of parties taking place on Greek Row. We kind of uh, touched we on that before, but this is more specific about the fraternity sorority scene. I guess. Uh, yes, we were we're very concerned about reports of parties this past weekend. We're working really closely with the city, trying to figure out what are appropriate, immediate, and 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 serious consequences for uh, for uh, fraternities that violate the uh, the public health mandates of the city. And another listener asks: Will there be changes in the freshman admission process for the fall of twenty twenty one? Uh, yes, there certainly will be changes um, uh, that, um, as uh, you may know, uh, the whole University of California has gone SAT optional. That's because it's it really impossible to take the SATs in, in the way in which they have been taken. Um, we're actually going to do a pilot study of, um, uh, of doing um, admissions for a group of our um, applicants uh, SAT blind, and I'm sure we're going to learn a lot from from that experiment. If you've just joined us, we're discussing the present and future challenges facing the University of California with Berkeley Chancellor Carol Christ. And if you have questions for the chancellor about how you see Berkeley is handling the pandemic and the budget crisis and really the problems related to racial injustice, you can give us a call right now at 866-733-6786 or get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email questions you may have to forum at kqed.org. I think Nusheen's line is okay now. Nusheen, let's hope so. Good morning. Hello, good morning. Um, can you hear me now? Yeah, I think we're okay. Thank you. Okay. Um, so, um, yeah, I had the pleasure to be a student at UC Berkeley a few years ago, and uh, it's great to hear that, uh, you know, um, they're trying to uh, bring more diversity to the campus. My question for your guests is what, um, what is their policy? 
students who come from a certain background, um, they are able to survive and progress in that environment. Because from what I see, um, we had a few people uh, which are coming from um, less privileged, um, like their um, families, and it was extremely hard for them to survive in that environment and uh, progress. So I just wanted to know what is their policy to make sure that these students who come from a certain background um, so can can actually achieve um, their goals and progress. Thank you. Yeah, we broke up a little bit more there, Chancellor, but I really, I think she's asking again about retention of students from different backgrounds. Yes, we we are committed not only to admitting a more diverse class, but also making sure that those students thrive, that they succeed. We're committed to eliminating um, gaps in graduation rates between our underrepresented students and our majority students. So we have lots of different programs that support students. Uh, the EOP uh, program um, supports all low-income students. We have centers that are dedicated to each each of our main underrepresented groups. Um, and uh, there are just lots of programs um, that we uh, ha have developed and are continuing to develop to make sure that students have the kind of support that will allow them to succeed in achieving their educational goals. And a tweet from a listener who asks, um, read this tweet straight, will there come a time when white California students will benefit from affirmative action as a means of increasing Berkeley's diversity. Oh, that's uh, so far in the future. I really can't. Uh, I really can't project um, right now. Uh, we um, both. Um, Hispanic, um, Chicanx and Latinx and Black students are really severely uh, underrepresented at Berkeley in relationship to their percentage um, uh, 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 among high school graduates. Another listener wants to know, how will students that study biology and other physical sciences catch up on their important lab classes? That's a really good question. Our faculty have been so creative in trying to figure out how you uh, create um, a, uh, a remote uh, alternative to laboratory classes. When we are um, allowed to return to face-to-face uh, -face instruction, um, uh, laboratories will be the first kind of class that we will um, that that we will hold face-to-face. Um, -face simply because there isn't uh, a, a complete uh, um, uh, replacement in a remote format of laboratory work, but our faculty have been just extraordinarily creative. They're putting together kits, for example, that they mail to students. So students conduct experiments with these kits. That's happening in engineering and in physics. In chemistry, they're using GSIs to, um, to, to, uh, to show experiments on video, and then the students have to do the calculations. So um, the, a faculty, I have so much admiration for how creatively they've been adapting to the circumstances of this really changed instructional environment. Yeah, in your um, convocation, there was something uplifting about how uh, this may be a perilous time, but so too is it, I'm quoting you now, a time for creative ferment and possibility, and that is the prime time for this public university. 
And that's kind of borne out by, well, I was reading about some of the innovations that you're talking about, but also innovations like uh, that commencement out of Microsoft video game that was put together, uh, about students, uh, mostly science students, getting together and making hand sanitizers in the laboratory and getting them to uh, Bay Area communities that are in need, that are at-risk populations, all pretty impressive stuff. Um, but I'm wondering also about what your response is to um, Jeff Remmer, who is chair of uh, chemical and biomolecular engineering, who has said that all this online teaching may make it seem as if that's the way the future should go. I'm paraphrasing him, obviously, but essentially his concern was that uh, uh, techno teaching is not necessarily what we want for the future. Uh, I think he was speaking largely about many of the faculty who would prefer not to have it and to have, or say have to have some kind of hybrid, but certainly not to have it exclusive. Well, I don't think there's any danger that we're going to move as a consequence of the pandemic to an exclusively online environment. People are, everybody is eager to get back to face-to-face -to -face teaching. There are things that face-to-face -face instruction um, is capable of that, 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 that are very hard to recapture in a, in a remote environment. Nonetheless, as I said before, many of our faculty say, I've discovered a muscle that I didn't know I had. And they're not going to forget that they have that muscle when we get through the pandemic. And it's my hope that we can extend the opportunity of a Berkeley education to more students as a result of the capacity that we're developing in remote instruction. Some faculty feel that there are some parts of their classes that actually work better in a remote form than, um, than they do in person. Very large lecture classes, for example. Uh, um, we we're designing a building for data science, um, our new data science majors, the fastest growing major on the Berkeley campus. We were going to have a huge lecture hall in that building and we've rethought our plans. We don't think we need really, really large lecture halls anymore because we've discovered other ways of delivering at least that piece of the course content. So what do you do with the large lecture halls? <laughs> <laughs> Break them up into small rooms. I don't know. Use social distancing. <laughs> Here's a tweet from Michael who wants to know, how available are masks on campus? Are there mask vending machines scattered around? Can students get masks at the health center? Uh, yes, they can get them at the health center and we're providing them uh, at a point where we have our, uh, when we open our buildings for instruction, we will give masks out at the doors of the buildings to any student who comes in without a mask on. And indeed, as I'm sure anybody knows who um, spends any time walking in the streets or on stores, the kind of mask wardrobe has become very, very creative. But yes, masks are available. And here's Sarah from MAPA. Sarah, join us. You're on the air. Welcome. Yes. Hi. How are you? Thanks for this wonderful conversation. Uh, my son is um, hoping to um, get into UC Berkeley in, uh, in the fall of 2021. And my question is, which I'm sure many other parents and students have, how does this pandemic affect uh, the space available for students that are hoping to come in um, with other students that may defer a year and um, take, take some time off before they come back. And so how does that affect the numbers of those that are incoming freshmen, true freshmen, uh, that, that are hoping to get into Cal? Um, and a, I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, thank you for that, sir. Yeah, that's a great question. And we were extremely strict 
in um, our, uh, um, uh, you know, allowing students to take deferrals um, just because you prefer face-to-face -face instruction to remote instruction was not a reason uh, that we accepted for a deferral. So we expect to be admitting a freshman class next year of the same size as the freshman class this year. Talk about enrollments, if you could, uh, Chancellor Krista. I mean, they're down somewhat, but uh, how do the numbers look from your perspective? Uh, the numbers look very good from my perspective. I, um, enrollment planning is is um, is not an exact science. There's always some variation um, from year to year. Sometimes we're a little down. Sometimes we're a little up. Um, and we're a little down this year, but just by a few hundred students. And that's not it, 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 that that is not unusual, even in a non-pandemic um, a non-pandemic time. And we, me, we feel uh, very good that uh, there are a number of colleges and universities that are reporting real shortfalls in enrollment. That hasn't happened at Berkeley. Let me get a quick call in from Molly in Oakland. Molly, join us. You're on the air. Hi. Um, as Hi. I'm sure you know, UC Berkeley has a long history of police brutality against students. And in February over at Santa Cruz, the UCPD used military-grade surveillance equipment and full riot gear against college students and disproportionately targeted and punished black and POC students, which to me seems more of the same inappropriate use of force and seems evident that UCPD has no problem escalating their force. How do you plan to address this and mitigate the same use of force against students in the coming academic year? Thank you for the question, Molly. Chancellor Christ? Uh, we uh, just received a report midsummer from the Independent Advisory Board on Police Accountability and Community Safety. It's, um, uh, it was a, a, uh, a board that I appointed for precisely the, um, uh, the reasons that you're identifying, concern about, um, about the police and the community. They've made a very comprehensive set of recommendations and uh, will be in, in several weeks be announcing. We had a public comment period. We got hundreds of comments on the Senator report. Chris, forgive me. We're coming up on a break. When we come back, could you uh, give us the details of what those recommendations are? Hold off. We'll be back in just a matter of seconds. Stay tuned. I'm Michael Krasny. This is Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. We're discussing the present and future challenges facing the University of California, Berkeley, with its chancellor, Carol Christ. And if you have questions for the chancellor, now would be the time to join us. Uh, you can give us a call at our toll-free number. The number to call is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Or get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email us, forum at kqed.org. Sorry, we went to the break, Chancellor Chris. I was asking you to detail a little bit some of those recommendations with respect to safety on the campus and uh, officers enforcing whatever they need to enforce. Uh, yes, thank you. We've already taken a number of steps that are also consistent with the uh, red, a set of recommendations that we received. We're going to be um, creating a uh, team of mental health professionals that will be the first responders rather than the police in what we call wellness checks and mental health emergencies. Um, there's a recommendation that we uh, 
um, make sure that the the uh, equipment that our um, uh, police force uses is not excessive and not of a military grade. There's a recommendation that we move the police department from uh, Sproul Hall, where it currently is. That's been a long um, uh, desire of the students, and we've already agreed to do that. We're trying to divest some responsibilities uh, from the police department that, that, that it doesn't need to have. And, uh, and then there are many other recommendations. It's a very, very, uh, you know, 100-page report with many recommendations, but um, they all are in the direction of making sure that our um, uh, police department is, has a, it, it, that we rethink our approach to community safety and with a, um, a, a multi-pronged approach to community safety, not just a policing approach to community safety. Are there other recommendations that have emerged with respect to addressing racial justice and systemic racism other than what we talked about in terms of at least striving for more diversity in, in terms of enrollment? I know in your convocation you talked about the pandemic highlighting the deep racial and socioeconomic uh, disparities uh, among uh, those in the campus community. In fact, I think you said uh, all may be in the same storm, but we certainly are not all in the same boat. So recommendations on that score. Uh, yes, we're I'm going to uh, uh, um, develop a lot of campus programming, public programming uh, this year to build a greater campus-wide understanding of systemic racism and social justice. Um, we're going to create a permanent working group that will report to me, charged with overseeing efforts to continually improve the campus climate for the Black community. We're going to work with the Black community to identify opportunities to leverage cultural symbols, such as public art. There are a number of building renamings that are in process. Uh, we're going to, one of the things that has been most moving to me in speaking with Black students is how um, urgently they want to know more about Black history at, um, at on the Berkeley campus. And so we're going to excavate that history, study that history, make it present. We're going to develop training for all parts of the campus community to combat anti-Blackness. We're going to increase research, career, and advising opportunities for Black undergraduate and graduate students. And then we're going to provide startup funding for an initiative called the Abolition Democracy Initiative to build the capacity and impact of African-American studies broadly conceived on the Berkeley campus. So there's a lot in motion. Are there specifics with respect to building renaming you mentioned? Uh, yes, um, the the buildings that are uh, there there are you know their uh, proposals for their re, uh, their unnaming, not their renaming, are Lacant um, Hall, um, the Lacant brothers, very important figures in the beginning history of Berkeley, were both slave owners in the uh, South and had racist views. Uh, Barrows Hall. Um, and uh, um, uh, President Barrows, who's former president of the university, um, had a um, also views that I think we wouldn't um, embrace today, particularly about Filipinos. He worked in the Philippines for um, several years. 
but also about race more generally. And then there is a big controversy about Krober, uh, Krober Hall, the anthropology building and his um, uh, actions in relationship to Native Americans. Again, our guest is UC Berkeley Chancellor Carol Chris, and our next caller is David from Sacramento. David, welcome. Hi, Chancellor. Um, I want to let you know that my daughter uh, graduated from UC Berkeley last year. Um, the, the great thing about the university was that, um, unfortunately, she suffered a mental disability episode in 2018, and she had to take a leave of absence from school. And um, we worked in coordination with the Disabled Students Program, and they were able to get her back into school and uh, accommodate her academically at her, own, at her pace. And so with that support from the school, from this faculty, um, she was able to successfully graduate last year. And I want to uh, thank you. Um, you, the chancellor, and and the UC Berkeley for that support that my daughter received, uh, and, and also as an FYI, uh, because of the pandemic, my daughter decided to apply to uh, graduate school, and uh, in fact, uh, next week she'll start uh, taking classes, of course, virtually, but from uh, Columbia University. And so, again, I I, I applaud. And I appreciate what UC Berkeley has done for my daughter and our family. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you so much for, for saying that. And I'm so delighted that uh, we were able to help your daughter succeed at, um, at, at, at her education. There's a tweet from a listener named Joshua who says, going back to the budget issue, is federal assistance available to UC to help close the gap? We have seen federal help for small businesses during the pandemic. How about the UCs? That's a great question. So we already have gotten some federal uh, help in the first CARES Act. We got about $15 million that was direct aid for students on financial aid, and then uh, it was emergency financial aid, and then $15 million um, uh, that was for the institution. We used it to um, to uh, mitigate the deficit in housing and dining. Um, whether we get any more help from the federal government will depend on the fate of the HEROES Act and whether the HEROES Act um, provides money for the states um, that is targeted for higher education. Our guest again is Chancellor Carol Christ. Our next caller is Colin in Santa Rosa. Good morning. You're on the air. Uh, thank you, Chancellor. For, um, in 2017, tens of thousands of video lectures and podcasts were removed under what I understand were equal access concerns, um, maybe due to with captions on videos. So even since 2017, there's been a huge improvement in automatic captioning, like in services um, YouTube. And now that distance learning is going to generate a huge amount of video content, I'm wondering if there have um, been considerations about um, reflecting on whether this could, could change if these materials could be made available to the public. Um, you could make a case that services like MIT Open Courseware have had a, a much greater public penetration and, and impact because of their open accessibility. Thank you. Thank you Thank for the question. 
Yeah, thank you for the question. That that's a great question, and I will explore it. Uh, we, uh, as you uh, as you said, in 2017, we took these materials down because the um, cost would have been astronomical for closed captioning them all. Now, all the materials that are publicly available are captioned, and um, I believe that our courses are too. So I'll explore your suggestion with the people more immediately responsible for that area of the university. And I thank Helen for the question. And another listener writes, uh, many students made long-term plans starting leases and housing contracts for the semester before being told classes were moved, uh, were moved fully online. Can you please address this transparency issue? That uh, we um, have been trying to make the best decisions in the most timely way possible. No one could have anticipated, I think, the way the pandemic is unfolding. However, the city of Berkeley uh, um, created some um, policy that made it much easier for um, students to get out of leases. We also provide advice um, uh, from the student advocates office for how to extricate yourself from a lease if you don't want to keep the lease. So we're trying to be as helpful as we can. And here's a listener who writes, I'm happy to learn how well Berkeley is dealing with these challenging times. And Here's a caller from Berkeley. Matheson, join us here on the air. Welcome. Hi. Hi. Uh, my name is Matheson, and I I'm, I'm work in the entertainment industry, and I think we're, we're all really concerned how well the in, entertainment industry is going to recover. Um, we may not be able to get back to work until next year, if not end of next year. Um, I've been recently laid off, temporarily laid off from UC, and I, I'm interested in how, how UC will, will support the performing arts with organizations like Cal Performances, so they're so these employees are not left um, are not left to to have to suffer the the uh, the lack of unemployment um, when we've lost jobs and our livelihood and better get our medical benefits. So we may lose our jobs, but how is UC going to uh, support and hashtag save the arts uh, so they can return in two years in a year when we're able to put on events and produce events again and not rely on digital content. Chancellor Chris. Yeah, thank you very much for that question. I'm really sorry that you have lost your job. Um, we, I, I am, no one can be more eager than than I about Cal Performances coming back to live performance. Uh, as you probably know, we have the Cal Performance just announced, I believe yesterday, um, a, a virtual season for the fall. It's certainly my hope that we will get back sooner than next fall to live performance, but we have to see how public health uh, public health um, uh, regulations um, develop, how the pandemic develops, but we are all eager to um, get the performing arts back performing live in our, in our community. And along those lines, uh, another listener, Michael, wants to know about what facilities are going to be open to students this fall and mentions libraries and recreation centers. And I was thinking also of asking you about, so, well, the museum, uh, <laughs> so many things that are pretty much uh, gone dark and that are shut down. Um, let's talk about that in, in the broadest sense, uh, even with respect to tables in Sproul Plaza. Well, the, the outside tables are open in Sproul Plaza, um, but I, 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 I just mean by that picnic tables. There, there's no tabling. In fact, until the city's health regulations change, we can't open buildings um, uh, in which uh, students can gather 
in in groups. Uh, so the answer to your question is that not much is going to be open. The libraries will not be open, though there's curbside delivery of library materials. The librarians are available to um, help students and faculty remotely. Um, the the um, re the recreational sports facility will not be open. Uh, the student center will not be open. Um, that the the uh, city of Berkeley's regulations are quite strict and really prohibit us from uh, opening our, our, our many of our buildings for their customary activities. Here's a tough question from a listener named Lisa who writes. Uh, I have one son very happy in his dorm at an out-of-state school and one very disappointed son entering as a freshman at a Northern California UC. Why would a student want to attend any UC given looming budget cuts, no in-person classes, decaying infrastructure, etc.? I, you would want to attend UC, I think, because of our extraordinary faculty, um, that um, I, I think the classes are going to be admittedly different, but I still think they're going to be really, really good. We have uh, in um, the actions that we're taking in regard to the budget, we're protecting the academic units because we don't want to do any damage to our academic program, which in um, uh, it's is uh, uh, Berkeley is known as the best public university in the world. I imagine other UCs might dispute that, but it's just an extraordinary institution with many extraordinary opportunities for students, even in our remote form. University of Michigan might dispute it too, I'm sorry to say, but it uh, has done so publicly, but we don't need to go there. Uh, I'm also looking at a, a question that uh, sort of rebounds back to something I brought up earlier. It's from a listener named Ann who says, now that UC Berkeley has had to cope with something so unexpected, I want to ask Chancellor Chris to consider making a commitment in the interest of social justice to take what has been learned from these circumstances and extend the benefits of remote instruction after the pandemic is over. How can the university repurpose the lessons from this to improve opportunities to underserved populations? That's a great question, and it's something we spend a lot of time thinking about. I believe that universities are going to be transformed by this crisis. Um, I've said several times, actually, before that having discovered this muscle of remote instruction, we're not going to forget it. I myself personally believe that Berkeley should expand its enrollment without expanding its campus population. And remote instruction in the way we've developed it gives us the opportunity to do that, by which I don't mean there'll be some parallel online university, Berkeley online, but rather it enables um, students to become more independent of place. It might enable more part-time study. So I, I think I, I challenged my own executive team to spend a lot of time thinking about the day after and how we can use the learning opportunities of this crisis to make Berkeley even stronger and even more accessible after the pandemic ends. And Shirley writes, I'm an alum of UC Berkeley. Thank you, Chancellor Chris, for the proposed changes of certain buildings on campus. The buildings themselves bring back good memories, and any name change will not diminish those great memories. And another listener says or asks, do you have a plan not to require a GRE for master's degrees? Requiring the GRE prevents many disadvantaged families who want to excel but are unable to join because of the unnecessary exam and additional costs. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, the, the, there is, a, we um, a, 
after I appointed these working groups that I referred to before in um, uh, that addressed undergraduate diversity, we just received a report from a task force that I appointed on graduate student diversity. And one of the recommendations from that task force is for um, uh, departments, programs, to minimize the use of standardized testing. So there is a big conversation going on about uh, standardized testing for graduate school admission on campus right now. And it's my, uh, it's my guess, I mean, the requirements for um, admission um, graduated for application to graduate programs are set by the individual programs. But it's my guess that uh, standardized testing uh, and tests such as the GRE are going to become le much less, um, less commonly used. There's We've got only seconds left. But I'm, 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 no, I'm just interested in asking you, what are you most hopeful about as you begin this new year as the 11th chancellor of the UC Berkeley campus? What I'm most hopeful about is I think that this moment of urgency about um, systemic racism and social justice is going to give us the opportunity to make some changes that will stay with us. And, you know, Berkeley is a place where students make intellectual and personal discoveries, and that's not going to stop, even though uh, the form of instruction is largely remote, at least in the beginning of the fall semester. Chancellor Christ, good to have you on with us, and I wish you the best of luck. Appreciate Thank you being with us. Thank That's you. Chancellor, Chancellor Carol Christ, and uh, try to find the time for more Hillary Mantle and maybe even some poetry. Thank you again for your time, and thank you for joining the forum program this morning. And I thank you, our listeners, and those of you who called in and participated in this hour, hour ahead with Mina Kim. And for all of us at KQED Public Radio, stay safe. I'm Michael Krasny. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary all over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.